Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Brett, and I am one of the pastors at Bridgewater. It's good to have you here today. Uh, we are in a series in 1 Corinthians, and we are in week four, I believe. Um, and we will not make it through the end, but we will make it six weeks because that's the plan. Um, so we're just looking at the first uh, few chapters of 1 Corinthians. And it, it's been interesting. Paul is writing to a church in Corinth that is, uh, that is messing things up. Uh, there's just a lot wrong in Corinth. And so he starts writing a letter. Actually, um, Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. Uh, we only have two in the Bible, but he wrote a letter before he wrote 1 Corinthians, and he le- wrote a letter between 1 and 2 Corinthians that, uh, that we don't have. Um, but these two letters that he wrote, the first one we're looking at, 1 Corinthians, he really takes them to task. He actually says nothing nice about them. Uh, everything he writes is something that they're doing poorly. And uh, so the first couple weeks, we, uh, the first week we looked at, at basically he, he tells the people in the church, you, you guys say you're followers of Jesus, which means you have a position in Christ, but you have forgotten. Because your position in Christ should be affecting your practices, your beliefs, your behaviors, and they are not, it is not. <laughs> You're not acting like a follower of Jesus. Then the last two weeks, he hits this idea of unity, and <clears throat> he says, you guys are quarreling and, and struggling. One, one time he says, you're, you're arguing about who's more important, who you're going to follow, like you've taken these human people and you've raised them on a pedestal and now you're arguing about which one's better? That's ridiculous. Then the last week, we looked at uh, how we're supposed to be unified around the cross. And the cross is what divides followers of Jesus from non-followers of Jesus. And it should unify those of us who are followers of Jesus because Jesus died for us, and at the cross we recognized we were all equal in our sin and our need for a Savior. So he has talked about all of that. Today, here's the question I want us to think about. If you were going to describe somebody who is not spiritually mature, a baby Christian, if you were going to describe an immature follower of Jesus... Before I finish this, I, I just fear that somebody's going to point to somebody or, or you're going to look at your neighbor. So I want you to just look straight ahead and I don't want you to answer. I just want you to think, um, you know, what, what words would you use to describe an immature follower of Jesus, a, a, a baby, a, a, not a spiritually mature person? Because I think sometimes, Paul's going to bring this up, I think sometimes my thoughts about, oh, I, I know, that's a really mature Christian, and, and I give reasons. I'm not sure that that matches what Paul finds in the Corinthian church. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. All right, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3. If you did not bring a Bible, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, we have Bibles, and we will give you a Bible. We would love to give you a Bible. Um, in our Welcome Center out there, we have Bibles, and if we ran out, we would just buy more because we want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. But if you didn't bring one, uh, you have a phone, I'm sure, that has the scriptures on it. The U version is a great uh, Bible app, or we're going to have verses on the screen and you can follow along. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul dives into this 
this Corinthian church, and he points out another struggle that he has with them. So let's look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1. It says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Okay, here's what Paul's saying. I, I really wanted to treat you like godly people. I really wanted to treat you like spiritually mature people. Yeah, but I couldn't. And you know why I couldn't, Paul says? He says, I couldn't because you, you, you just act like babies. You're immature. <clears throat> we all know people who are immature. We, some, of them, some of us are raising some of them. Some of you know others that are immature. But you, there's just certain character qualities that you're like, that's immature. And we may even say that to our 17-year-old. Um, that, that is immature. Um, you see, in, in our society, it is normal for 10-day-old babies to be sucking on a bottle. It is not normal for a 10 or 15-year-old to be walking around with their bottle, with their baba, with their pacifier. I mean, just think about the different things, right? I mean, it's just not normal. And so Paul is saying, I, I, am, I am really wanting to treat you like an adult, but I got to tell you, you guys, you're a basket case of deplorals. Like, you, you are immature. You are babies. Okay? And he... Goes on, verse 3. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not still worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? So he says, you, <laughs> by your behavior, you're acting spiritually immature. There's quarreling and jealousy. Hmm. It's interesting that he picks those two character qualities or negatives to point out spiritual immaturity, quarreling and jealousy. I, I, I think about how we live, and I think, you know, maturity should be a natural process. It, it should have started at the cross when all of us, if, if we are followers of Jesus, we, we realized our need for a Savior our equality in sin, that your sin and my sin and their sin are, are all the same in God's eyes. All of our sin would get us to hell. So we are equal. And then recognizing that and, and saying, okay, then I need a Savior, Jesus Christ, that should, that position in Christ then should change my practices in Christ and so my behaviors should look more and more like Jesus. My practices should be more and more in line with Christ. My attitudes should improve and change. Paul says it's not happening. Verse 4, he says, for, for when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So he's pointing out that you guys are, not you guys, but this Corinthian church, they are choosing to argue and quarrel because they're jealous. It, it's, 
It's sad, but it's not that much different from churches today. Is there jealousy in church today? Is there quarreling in churches today? No. There's no quarreling. There's no bad feelings. No. It's a utopia of happiness. Right. That's the church down the road. Um, somewhere, and we've never found it. Uh, no, that's not it. There is still this going on. And I think, uh, I think this is one key point that, that Paul's trying to make. Spiritual maturity is most clearly seen by how we treat each other, not by how much knowledge we have. Spiritual maturity is most easily seen by how we treat each other, not by how much knowledge we have. You see, I think, I think in my mind, in, in our minds probably, a spiritually mature person just knows a lot. Oh, but they've been studying the Bible for years. Have you heard them pray? Oh, it's almost like they're talking right to Jesus, like he's right in the room with them. You know, and we start thinking about, well, what makes a spiritually mature person? Well, they know a lot. Paul says, no, 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 no. no. The reason this person is, these people are immature isn't because they don't know a lot. They should know a lot. It's that they're not acting like that with each other. They're quarreling. They're jealous. They're bickering. There's disagreements. And Paul's saying that. It doesn't have anything to do with more knowledge. It has to do with actually acting like, acting on what you know. I heard somebody once say, uh, I don't need any more information. I just need to apply the information I know. If you get pulled over for speeding, it's not like you didn't know you shouldn't speed. It's that you weren't applying. I'll use a better, I'll use a different illustration. Um, I just had my Jeep inspected. Okay, my Jeep inspection... Uh, Ran out in August. Um, oops. Okay, it's not that I didn't know that we have to get our vehicles inspected every single month, or every single year. It feels like every month. Every single year, right? It's not that I needed more knowledge. It's that we need to apply what we already know. I know way more than I put into practice. And apparently the Corinthians did too. And I think as, as churches, I think we do get in trouble by thinking, well, if we just knew more information, and if you, if you would just parse that verb for me, is that an aorist tense or is that a present tense participle? Like if you would help me, no, I just need to apply what I know. And I know that I shouldn't be jealous, I shouldn't be quarreling. I should treat people with love. I know that. Well, why don't we? Why didn't the Corinthian church? Paul probably understood what, what Matthew wrote. In Matthew 22, um, Jesus was asked this. He said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Love God which we know if we read the Bible, loving God really is demonstrated through our obedience to God and love other people. If, 
if I want to be spiritually mature, if you want to be spiritually mature, if the Corinthian church wanted to be spiritually mature, you know what they needed to do? Love God and love others. I think we overcomplicate it sometimes, but that's really just that easy. Oh, well, you don't understand. If you understood who you were telling me to love, you... No, I do understand. It's really, really hard. That's why it's abnormal to find mature believers in Christ. Because we're supposed to love God and we're supposed to love others. And by loving God, it means that I obey God's word. And loving others really just means to love others. And it's sad to say that that's really difficult, but it is really difficult. And the Corinthian church apparently was struggling with that. You see, spiritually mature, spiritual maturity isn't defined by the length of time someone has been a Christian. It is defined by our obedience to God and our love for others. <clears throat> I realized I was a sinner and asked Jesus to be my leader and forgiver 45 years ago. I have sinned much more since I have been a follower of Jesus than I ever did before I was a follower of Jesus. That's sad. It's hard to say that out loud because it makes me sad. But followers of Jesus who are mature and not babies, like Paul is saying here to the Corinthian church, We love God and obey him, and we love others. So he sees quarreling, and he says, you stop it. Just cut it out. Do I love God? Do I love others? There's a, there was a church in 1839 that uh, became deeply divided over the issue of slavery. One group, led by the pastor of the church, wanted to support freed slaves by supporting the Underground Railroad and and helping relocate freed slaves. Another group in the church believed that the church should do more politically to bring an end to slavery. The dissenting group, led by um, an elder, Elder Post, said, uh, he said this right before a church vote. They were voting on this. So it's not that either group thought slavery was good. They both hated slavery, both groups. But one group thought they should do more, and one group thought they shouldn't. And here, here's what, here's what uh, Mr. Post said. The merchandise of human flesh, as it is now practiced in the U.S. and other parts of the world, is a sin and great evil in the land. It ought to be abolished, and it is the duty and privilege of every Christian and church to bear testimony against it. April 15, 1839. So, 25 years before the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, he said this. Both groups hated the idea of slavery in America, but one group believed the church should do more politically to abolish slavery than the other, and the two groups could not unify, disagreed, and there was a church split. But this is not the end of the story. Here's what the historical documents of the church tell us. Quote, After three years of much arguing and negotiating... The two congregations were reunited in 1842. The new church was not wealthy or large enough to sustain itself, but overall, the two churches desired unity and peace. That church is Bridgewater Baptist Church. 
That's us. Eighteen thirty-nine, huge disagreement at Bridgewater Baptist Church. Church split. One group, we need to aid the Underground Railroad. We need to fund that. We need to get more of these slaves relocated. Another group, no, we need to politically march on Washington. We need to hold rallies. We need to abolish slavery forever. And they split. But recognizing God's will for peace and unity, they mended their differences and they got back together. I don't think it's any mistake that in in, so that was, 19, that was 1842. In 1843, a revival broke out at Bridgewater Baptist Church. 105 people were baptized in 1843. And they were running a, morning, a Sunday morning attendance of 500 people in 1843. Unheard of in America in the 1840s, in the 1800s to find any church that had 500 people in little Montrose, Pennsylvania, Bridgewater Baptist Church did. I think that's because God blesses unity. We see this in churches today, don't we? We should wear masks. We shouldn't wear masks. We should all be vaccinated. We shouldn't be vaccinated. We should use the King James Version. We should use the NIV. We should use the EASV. We should use the message. I don't know. We should use the Good News Translation, whatever. <clears throat> we should have, we should have uh, Pioneer Girls. No, we should have Awana if we only had Olympians. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy. If we had padded chairs, well, we don't need padded chairs. We should have folding chairs if they were red. If it was lighter in here, I wish it was darker in here. I wish the music was louder. If the music was quieter, like... It is crazy. I mean, we don't do that here, but I mean, other churches argue about, <laughs> argue about all that stuff. We shouldn't have to fill out this little card. <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of stuck on the card. We do it, don't we? I mean, it is so easy for me to think about, oh, those... Oh, those Corinth, those people in Corinth, boy, what a basket of deplorables. I tell you, no. If we're honest, Paul's message hits us right where we are. Oh, we're getting a new pastor in here. Yeah, you know what? I'm really looking forward to that. I can't stand Bixby. When Brett's done preaching, whew, I'll be... You know, when they have that guy come in and preach, I don't like it when he comes... Boy, I really... We do that. Shame on us. Well, that teacher downstairs, I really like it when we have this teacher downstairs. I, I mean, it's, if they would open that thing up 15 minutes earlier, I would, I mean, it's crazy what we quarrel and bicker about, isn't it? Well, if I send my kids to Christian school, I'm going to send my kids to public school. I'm going to send my kids to home. Like, I don't think, I, oh, I almost said deer hunting on Sunday. I should stop. Because um, I'm not sure where God would stand on that. I, I feel like golf and, and deer hunting on Sundays, I, I feel like he has a little space. No, I, I, no, probably not. Anyway, I shouldn't say those things. Um, spiritual maturity is most clearly seen by how we treat the people around us. 
And people outside of this building ought to be able to look at us and how we live, and they ought to be able to see that we love each other and that we are unified, not around our preferences, not around things like that, not around the temperature of the room, I wish it was hotter, I wish it was colder, but, but around the cross of Christ and the mission that we all agree with, that we need to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. That should unify us. Here's what Paul says, verse 5. What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul, and only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the, as the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-laborers, co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Paul's point, God changes lives. People don't. This is God's church. It's God's thing. It, it really is. And, and I, I really believe that. And if, if, if we shine a light on anybody, shame on us. Let's shine a bright light on Jesus. That's who should be glorified every single day of our lives, but every Sunday when we come together, we should leave knowing Jesus was bigger, not, not any of us. Uh, there's a guy, John Calvin, <clears throat> he's a theologian and preacher, he wrote this, those, those that extol men above measure strip them of their dignity, for the grand distinction of them all is that they gain disciples to Christ, not to themselves. You see, we should, be, we should be pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. Oh, I tell you, you should hear their band. No, no, point people to Jesus. Well, if you saw their parking lot, point people to Jesus, not our parking lot, point people to Jesus. Um, it, 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 really, it really bothers me when, when a great preacher leaves a church and a bunch of people leave. And I think, ugh. Followers of Jesus, all engaged in the mission to make more and better disciples, or followers of a person. I was a part of a church in Grand Rapids, Michigan that, that had a pastoral change, and, and we had five or 600 people leave. And I think, ah, we following a person or are we following Jesus? At, uh, at Bridgewater, we really, really, really work on <clears throat> trying to be, as a staff, we work extra on this, working to talk to somebody, not about them. And we have a, a phrase at church do you, that, that goes like this, do, do we talk to people or do we talk about people? Are we willing to have a conversation about something that, that isn't sitting right? Or do we too quickly go and talk about somebody or an issue well it's easier to talk about them right you just get on the keyboard and you can put something on facebook or myspace or whatever you use now myspace i threw that in there on purpose i know <laughs> um you know but but i'm gonna just post something <laughs> okay well is that godly 
I don't even, I don't even go on Facebook because it's such a downer. And it just seems like a waste of time. I, I, it sucks the joy right out of me because there's so much negativity and I don't want to go there. I think Paul would probably say that too, maybe. Paul says, it, uh, he told Titus in one of his other books, in Titus 3, Paul says this, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful, and they are self-condemned. Paul was pretty serious about, about unity and spiritual maturity. <clears throat> this is another, another point, a second thought. Mature Christians practice mirror-gazing rather than finger-pointing. See, if you find yourself... <clears throat> there's, there's a lot of pointing that goes on in churches. This is really fun. <laughs> now I kind of want to get everybody, but I can't. Um, <clears throat> finger pointing. Boy, churches are professional finger pointers. Followers of Jesus, unfortunately, can be professional finger pointers. We just point that finger. This is better than giving the finger. Anyway, um, point the finger. There's some of that too, probably. Um, we point the finger, point the finger, point the finger. We should be mirror gazers, not finger pointers. Because there's a lot of times I need to look in the mirror. I should not be pointing out somebody else's faults. We should be good mirror pointers. Mature Christians practice mirror pointing. Uh, chapter 3 again, verse 18, it says, Do not deceive yourselves if any of you think you are wise or think you are something. By the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may be wise. Paul's saying if you're a finger pointer and you think you know better, it's, it's time to become a fool so you can be wise. It's time to recognize that we have a unity in Christ and the reality is we were all desperate for grace, forgiveness, hope. And but for the cross... Where would we all be? And yet we are good finger pointers. And we need to be looking in the mirror a lot more. <clears throat> I, I think this, this, this third point, I love this. The, the unity of the church is, is your responsibility and mine. It's our responsibility. The unity of the church is our responsibility. It's not one person, ladies and gentlemen, and you can say, well, Brett, you're the lead pastor of all of Bridgewater. It's your response. No. No. It's not. Well, you're serving as our interim campus pastor here. You should. No. No, it's everybody's responsibility. And you know what? If you're, if you're visiting here today and you go to a different church, it's your responsibility at the church you came from to be a unifier, not a divider. And if you attend Bridgewater, it's your responsibility to be a unifier. And, and I would say two things. First of all, I don't, I don't think we should ignore sin. I don't think we should ignore problems. I don't think we should ignore danger. I think we should have conversations. 
Because I think there are some legitimate things that come up, and I, I definitely think, oh, no, no, oh, we're just going to be unified. We're just going to love each other. No, and Paul, next week, we're going to look in chapter 5, Paul points out a, a very deplorable sin in Corinth, and he says to them, you better handle this. So he wasn't saying, ah, just overlook sin and hug everybody. Oh, no, no. I think there's a place for, for dealing with sin also, but it's, it's conversations, conversations, conversations. Second thing I would say on this is I, I think that most disagreements are based around preferences or opinions or perceptions. Preferences, opinions, or perceptions. Most quarreling and disagreements. Preferences, opinions, perceptions. Not biblical theology. And if, if you know me, you know I am a theologian. I love the Bible. I have a degree in the Bible. I have a master's degree in the Bible. I, I love the Bible. I learned Greek and Hebrew because I love the Bible. I'm all for fighting for theology. But most disagreements in the church are opinions, preferences, or perceptions. And they were in Corinth, too. So we're normal. Yay! <laughs> but I, I, think, I think what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4 is perfect. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, it says, Be completely humble. And this is where we're going to transition into communion. So I want you to start thinking about this for yourself. Personal reflection. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And the question we have to ask is, how, how are you doing? How am I doing? How are we doing? At that phrase that, that Paul says, are we making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? Here, with, with your friends that aren't here, with your family, how are we doing applying Ephesians 4? How are you doing? Here, here are four, four questions for you to, to wrestle with. Is there someone you need to make peace with? Is there a leader you need to take off a pedestal that you put them on? Is there a leader you need to take off the chopping block? That could be a boss. That could be a relative, that could be a parent, that could be anybody. That could be a government official. Is there a member of the body, another follower of Jesus, that you need to mirror gaze rather than finger point at? Unity is a, an important Thing, obviously, because Paul took the first three chapters of 1 Corinthians to write about it. I want us to think about that. And uh, the band's going to come. They're going to play a little 
music, and Dan's going to come and lead us in communion. But think about these questions while they come.